Welcome to the Guardians of the Game podcast, presented by the National Association of Basketball Coaches, where we go one-on-one with the top minds in college basketball to learn what makes a coach a coach. You've got to be good in all areas to be a successful coach or a championship-level coach, not just one that wins games. Now, here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Each Monday throughout the remainder of the college basketball season, I, Dave Odom, will sit down for a candid conversation with prominent coaches discussing a variety of on- and off-the-court topics. The Guardians of the Game podcast will go beyond X's and O's. We're going to find out exactly what truly drives the game's best leaders, that is, the coaches of the game of basketball at the NCAA level. Before I introduce our first guest, let me give a little bit of background on the NABC. Today, nearly 5,000 men's basketball coaches are NABC members. They span all levels of the college game as well as high school. That is high school, junior college, NAIA, NCAA, all three levels, Division I, Division II, and Division Three. As this podcast title indicates, members of the NABC are guardians of the game of basketball and as such are guided by the core values of advocacy, of leadership, of service, and education. The NABC is active on the national stage, constantly helping shape the values and the policies that govern the sport, from things like transfer rules to how the teams are selected for the NCAA tournament. I think back on my career, I coached 43 years at the different levels, 12 of it uh, in high school, and then uh, 32 years as a college coach. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a member of the NABC most of those years, all of my college years. And towards the end of my coaching career, um, I got a call from the executive director of the NABC, Mr. Jim Haney, who is still the executive director and doing a great job for the NABC itself. And he said, David, I wonder if you would consider being part of the board of directors of the NCAA. I was absolutely humbled and glad to do it. It was a different world for me, stepping into that kind of leadership. And, and my eyes were really open when I went into uh, my term as, uh, the, uh, as one of the board of directors. Um, my term lasted for 12 years, and, and on it, we had lots of name coaches and some that maybe at every level that you might not have heard about that rotated through, but they all had a, a, a real important part and an integral part of the uh, shaping the NABC and the game itself as one of its guardians. So we were, uh, I was uh, really honored by the opportunity to serve. Some of the things that the board did, along with uh, Jim Haney and his staff at the NABC, we talked about transfer rules. We talked about summer recruiting. We talked about standards of conduct for coaches. We talked about ticket allotment, um, 
recruiting calendars, signing dates, uh, things that you know people maybe take for granted today, but are very, very important in the operation of the game itself. So uh, it was really an important time for me, a, a very eye-opening time for me. There were some things that were done and said in, in meetings that just, I said, oh, I, I, I was just mine. I was blown away by it. And our first guest today is a member of the board of directors. He is a past president of the NABC. He is a working member of the board even today as he coaches his Spartan basketball team. He is truly a guardian of the game. And I am just pleased. They asked me when I when they asked me about doing this podcast, who would you like to have? I gave them the name of Tom Izzo because I know he cares about the game of basketball. I know he's a been a board member. I know he's been a president. I know he enjoys seeing the game and coaching the game. There's so many things I want to talk to him about. But Tom, welcome as the first guest of the Guardian of the Game. Uh, podcast. Well, David, I appreciate that and all the kind words, and I, I would agree with you that, uh, you know, I too uh, had the honor of getting the call to say, would you be on this? And, you know, I worked for Judd Heathcote for years, and for Judd Heathcote, the NABC and the Guardian of the Games and all the things that uh, Jim and Reggie Minton and Troy Hilton and all those guys do. Uh, which is endless, trust me when I say that, endless work, and you know it because you were on the board. Um, I was thrilled, too. I was humbled, and I was excited to be a part of it. And as you know, there's moments when it's uh, it's frustrating because there's a lot of bureaucracy when you're trying to work with academics and athletics and, and all the different, uh, not only the different venues in that respect, but also um, the different levels. And that's what makes it really, really complicated at times and why I value what Jim Haney has done to try to band everybody together. And, uh, you know, we've made some great strides, uh, someone you were on, someone Judd was on, someone I'm on, and I'm sure in, in years to come. But uh, we, we do have some challenges ahead of us right now, Dave. There's no question about it. No doubt. Tom, you probably know you may not. Uh, I've got a son that's a head coach at the Division One level. Um, he's at UMBC. That would be Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, he's doing very, very well. I'm very proud of him. However, uh, last weekend, uh, he took his team up to Vermont. You know that's not an easy trip. Uh, Vermont, uh, in, in memory, hadn't lost a game in the American East uh, uh, Conference. Um, Ryan took his team up there. They came back with a double-figure loss. I think 12, 14 points, something like that. He gets home. He's on the bus heading, heading back home, and he calls me on the phone. He said, Dad, we played terrible today. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, you played Vermont? He said, yep. I said, they're number one in team in the, in the conference? He said, yep. I said, let me, let me ask you a question. What do you think Roy Williams – Mike Krzyzewski, John Calipari, and now Tom Izzo have in common before, b- beside the fact that all four of those guys at one time or another have won a national championship. He was dead silent. So I ask you the same thing, Tom. What, what do you four guys have in common 
besides you all won a national championship and you all coach at a high-level uh, university? Well, we've all lost games like that. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah, Especially how about me. last weekend? Yeah. All well, four of you lost yeah. double-figure games last weekend. Now, arguably, if you wanted to add a fifth name or a sixth name to that list, you would probably put Bill Self in there, who escaped a double-figure loss this weekend, but he didn't the weekend before, and maybe Jay Wright. How about him? Uh, And he got whacked the, the week before. My question, and the reason I bring that up to you, I was trying to help my son get through the fact that you know, he was feeling pretty bad and that, um, you know, that uh, he, his team had lost. He felt like he had let his team down and everything. You know, talk to us a little bit about balancing uh, your thoughts and your team and helping them get through a 30-plus game year in which uh, they are going to be a lot of great wins, but they are going to be weekends like you had last weekend. Well, tell Ryan to call me because I've been through that a lot, and uh, especially early in my career. But I, I, I did know he was coaching. I have followed him, and I, I will say this: uh, I talked to Jay Wright, you know, uh, after their loss, and as coaches do, and you remember back when you were coaching every day, it's uh, it's a fraternity that tries to stick together because there's a lot of uh, a lot of issues that uh, we all go through. That you know. It is a marathon, uh, you know, not a sprint, as they say. Um, it's easy. It's kind of coach's cliche, but I heard a good one last night as we're talking. Uh, Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors said, you know, it was they got beat at home by 20, I think, to uh, the Clippers who are missing a few players. And he said, you know, the, the energy just wasn't there. Uh, they had it. We didn't. Uh, they played better than us. Uh, you know, I, I think those things are true. You know, it's so different than football, Dave, uh, because of the 30 games. And and now you have all the issues of the social media and that that I think affects basketball more than any other sport. So, um, you know, he's just got to hang in there, you know, and, and he's going to have those games when and all these guys will. Uh, you know, I remember two years ago, we played Middle Tennessee and and we got beat. You know, we were the two seed, got beat by a 15 and. Everybody said your team wasn't ready. Your team was looking ahead. Your t- I said, no, we were the number two ranked defensive team in the country, and the team shot 58 from the field and 56 from the three, and they, ma- they made shots. You know, basketball, as you know, um, the days of Tim Duncan, which you had such a big part of, are falling fewer and fewer uh, because of uh, there are no centers anymore, which means that three-point shot. And that's kind of the area where most upsets or or the craziness of college basketball is going. Let's talk about the changing style um, offensively and defensively in today's game. You had Judd Heathcote to kind of mentor you. I know there were some other people too, but uh, Judd seemed to be the guy that helped shape your uh, coaching philosophy. And uh, for years, um, everybody – played with at least one big guy. And even last year, let's face it, last year the two teams that ended up playing for the national championship, both of them um, had two big guys on the court at the same time. That would be uh, North Carolina and uh, Gonzaga, North Carolina winning the the championship. But it seems to have evolved away from the big guy. 
Um, you, you, you look at a guy like Trey Young down in uh, Oklahoma right now. Nobody can guard him. Somebody better take a, 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 a shotgun and shoot him. But uh, he got out of Morgantown without getting shot. So, I mean, I don't know who can guard the guy. How have you seen the game change in the last, uh, let's say, 15 to 20 years? Well, I definitely think the three-point line and then the the real change of freedom of movement, uh, you know, I don't think I'd ever want it like uh, I started here where we just clubbed and beat people, you know, any cutters got chucked and all that. But I think we've gone, as we often do with rules, we've gone so far the other way now that uh, it is it is getting to be more of a complete offensive game. But I still think, and, you know, I was talking to Jay Wright about this too, that that, uh, you know, you got to be able to defend, rebound, and, and then go with it. You know, if you can't defend and rebound, um, then teams take shots, and if they get the shot back, you haven't finished your defense. And I still think championship organizations, if you look at the pros, you know, whether it be the, the Patriots every year, whether it be uh, teams like Golden State or San Antonio, you know, uh, the best defensive teams, you know, win uh, 90% of these these championships. Now, winning games is one way, but to win championships, and you can do it with different styles, but you still got to be able to, those got to be constants. You still got to be able to take your defense on the road with you. You got you got to realize that uh, sometimes, you know, that three-point shot or those shots aren't going in. And uh, so it is a different animal. There's uh, Now we have some, some teams that have five guys that can shoot the ball. But at the same time, you got to be able to guard the ball. I think you're exactly right. When you look at uh, look at the different sports, baseball, you get to the World Series, pitching usually wins. You get in uh, the NFL uh, today. Uh, you know, I've, I think defense is going to be really important as we get into the final uh, two weekends of of, of that. And um, you know, you just we just saw the uh, NCAA uh, football playoff, and uh, who won that? Uh, Alabama. Alabama's got. Uh, you know, night in and night out, probably the best defense in all of college football, and and they they did a wonderful job of taking away the the running uh, at Georgia, and they end up winning uh, the darn thing. And and then I I re- I've always said that, you know, in college basketball, um, it's a player's season during the regular season, and then as it gets into postseason, the coaches kind of take over. We shorten our our playing rotation. We know who can do what, and we try to get them in at, at, at the right time. Um, and and uh, we start going inside trying to get to, to our big men, if we have any at that time, trying to get to the free throw line as much as we possibly can because that stops the long droughts. And, and uh, you know, just rebounding the ball ferociously, those are the things that, that win. So I, I totally agree with you um, uh, about that. Let me ask you um, – one of the things that I felt was really important was managing my program throughout. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, you've got, particularly at your level, uh, you've got um, a guy like Miles Bridges, who was a player of the year candidate at the beginning. He's certainly playing to that level right now. Managing player egos in the locker room you balance that with the egos of the fans. Can you affect that at all? And then you throw into that the media. How do you handle all of that? Just balancing all of that is, I found to be a challenge in, in and of itself. 
Well, that's a very good point. And, you know, ironically, as we're sitting here today, um, I think the new animal at the zoo is, uh, you know, balancing the parents. And as we learn, even in pro ball with the ball situation and all that, um, there's a lot of outside distractions. We call them noise here. You you you, you got to really get the noise under control. And uh, you know, I've been very fortunate. I got two what I call high high level players, and that were ranked in the top ten coming in. And both of them, Miles is egoless. So that part has been easy. But there's also pressure on these kids. You know. Do you live up to it? Uh, you know, the NBA coming out early, all those things are so, so difficult and uh, and difficult to manage. And then the social media, Dave, has, I think, changed it a lot even since you were in it, just because everybody's got an opinion and nobody has to put their name behind it. Oh. And when that happens, uh, you know, the credibility of everything, and it just starts firestorms, meaning parents are on these things and reading them. Now, it could be some guy that came home at 2 o'clock in the morning and, you know, had a bad night and is sitting in his dorm room tweeting something that has no no val- validity to it at all. But, you know, those are things we have to deal with. So the, I think the time that you get to just spend coaching has shrunk down. And that's sad because uh, even for the players, you know, the average student is on those damn phones for six, seven hours a day. I tell them all the time, give me an hour more in basketball, an hour more in academics. I'm making academic All-American, you know. But they just, uh, those are the things that, as Jed Heathco used to say, whatever goes on in society goes on on your team, you know, whether it be problems with alcohol, drugs, whether it be problems with, uh, you know, just uh, handling these kind of situations, they're all the same. And uh, ours is under a microscope, as you know. And uh, I think that's the hardest part in the changes in my 23 years. Tom, you and I are alike in one regard. You've, you've certainly had a much better career than I ever had, but uh, you're, you're, we're alike in one regard. We both started as a high school coach. And I know I look back at my career and at every stop, I had somebody to help me. Um, I never had a bad coach. I, I can still tell you about my eighth grade football coach, if you will, and, and some of the things that he taught taught me. I know that that certainly is, is true of you, and you talk about Judd Heathcote um, as being maybe uh, the guy that helped you the most, but I'll bet you there are other people in your lives that, that helped you get from high school to where you are today. Uh, one of the questions that I'm asked, no matter where I go when I'm speaking or at uh, conventions or, or uh coaching sessions or whatever. Coach, how do I get to the college level? Uh, and, you know, the younger coaches want to know. I, don't, I tell them there's no hard and true way. It's hard work and you've got to do a lot of things. What, what do you say to those coaches that say, I want to get to the college level. How do I do it, Coach? Well, you know, that is a very true point. And, and to start out with, uh, you know, I have had a lot of people, you know, I I'm one of those guys that uh, I love football, and I think there's a lot of things you can see in that. So I've gotten a lot. You know, Nick Saban's a good friend, and, and of course, Mark Antonio here. I get a lot from those guys as far as that beginning of what you were talking about. But when it's how do you get into college coaching, you know, I, number one, I think it's a grind. You know, I think you got to grind it. There's not 
we we tell our players this, but I always tell my coaches this. There's a process to getting there, you know. And if you skip parts of the process, like I I wouldn't change being in high school year. I wouldn't change being a GA for three years. As I look back, you know, I I think it helped mold in me. You know, I started lower division one and uh, you know division two first, then lower division one, then then this level and. Uh, you know, so I don't think I skipped many processes. You know, when I came here as a GA, uh, you know, you were also the strength coach and the academic person. So I have a better appreciation, you know, the the the, the uh, video part of the game just started coming out then, the satellite dishes. So, you know, we were kind of on the cutting edge there. I, I, I tell people all the time, find something that's going to impress somebody. You know, I still say to this day, um, I took the academic thing and I made it a big deal. And I, I took the, uh, the video part, you know, when we first VHS was, were coming out and I convinced Judd to, you know, that we could film that way instead of those old 16 millimeters. And, and that impressed him when it was successful, you know, and academically we had Scott Skiles and Kevin Willis and Sam Vincent. And, and that was challenging in itself. And, uh, those guys, you know, we had some success there. So, I'd also say get to as many clinics and get to as many, you know, college, high school, pro practices as you can. You know, there is a networking. Now, I don't like when my guys are just doing all the networking and not enough work, but I think you do got to get out to those places and uh, and just stay in touch with people. And and uh, that's, that's kind of the philosophy I have and the way I did it. But uh, it is difficult. You know, it's especially now in college, we seem to pick guys that are just recruiters. And I've never done that here. And uh, and I hope our game doesn't get totally to that because you got to be good in all areas to be a successful coach or a championship-level coach, not just one that wins games. By record, you've got eight assistants who are now head coaches. So you've obviously taught them well. You've obviously given them a chance to show what they can do. You used the word a couple of times – uh, that it's important that you, as a young coach, try to impress those that are doing the hiring, impress being the word. I used a word that I thought uh, was equally uh, correct, and that was you got to find a way to separate yourself. Uh, there, there are lots of people that, you know, there's, there are tried and true methods of, of, you know, progressing along in the coaching profession, but some at some point you've got to, You've got to be able to separate yourself from the masses and show people that are doing the hiring that you can do the job. I don't know about you, Tom, and I bet this is true. When I was doing, when I was interviewing for assistant positions, that is, I was interviewing somebody to come on my staff. I would always give them an open forum and give them a t- chance to tell me what they could do to make our staff and our program better. And I was always reluctant if a young coach just simply tried to sell himself as a recruiter. We all know how important recruiting is. But to me, and I I know you believe this, the game is still taught and coached on the court, learning to teach the game. We are Mike Shashevsky talks about it all the time, coaches being teachers. And any of the uh, uh, the uh, young coaches that I interviewed, 
that didn't let me know in some way or another that they wanted to teach the game, to learn the game, to be able to pull it all together, five on five, uh, understand the game. Uh, they, they eliminated themselves uh, from being considered because I really, I wanted young coaches to come in and want to coach the game, but, oh, by the way, they also had to recruit, not the other way. I don't know how you felt about that. Uh, you know, that was a Jed Heathcote. Uh, you know, I always said sometimes Jed, you know, didn't recruit as much. You know, it was kind of a funny era back then. Um, and I think I took, I've taken the, what I thought were the real positive parts of him because he believed in the teaching thing that you did and, and I added in the recruiting. But I, I looked at it this way when I hire a guy. Um, it's about relationships, personalities, uh caring uh you know do you make somebody feel comfortable because having some connections to get a recruit all oh, that can help you for one recruit but other people have connections too how, how much time are you going to spend how sincere are you going to be are you a used car salesman or are you a a just a down-to-earth blue-collar person and that's what i'm always looking for you know i'm looking for guys that want to take over the academics as well as take over uh, the position coach of the guards you know i'm I'm looking for guys that, uh, you know, care about their off-the-court stuff as much as they do, uh, you know, caring about making them a pro. You know, I think it's our job, and this is what the Guardians of the Game is all about, is sure to help them win championships and get to the position where maybe they can make money playing basketball, at least at this level. But it's also to make sure when they're 22 and done, or 35 after an NBA career and done, they still have 50 years to live. And uh, our job is to make them better players, better students, and better people. And uh, that that takes a lot of work and a lot of time. You know, are you going to be willing to spend time? Believe it or not, Dave, some of what I do even now, if I find a married guy, I'll interview his wife and everything. You know, is he going to be able to spend the time? Is he going to be able to incorporate his family with our family? does he want to be part of that? And that's what I look for. Tom, one last thing, and then I'll let you go. I know you're busy. Um, you know, it, when I when I took over my first head coaching job, you know, I kind of looked back at the profession and I said, you know, the coaches before me handed, I, I, was, just, I was just one, but they handed me the profession in pretty good shape. You look at, um, you know, you, it's easy to say a, a Wooden or a Knight or a, a Norm Stewart or a Wimp Sanderson or a Dean Smith or who, whoever. Uh, the group that came before me, uh, they handed the, the profession to me in a pretty good fashion. And I always felt it was important that I give back to, to the profession in a way that would help it be better when I was finished to the, uh, to the Ryan Odoms that were coming behind me. How important do you believe it is for a young coach to get involved through the NABC as a young coach and helping us to keep the game healthy, help it move forward and be all it can be um, from a college basketball standpoint? Well, that is probably a great way to end it because it's uh, maybe the most important of all. You know, it's it's like we say to our players here, um, the players before you 
you know, uh, built the thing. You're just renting it. And, uh, you know, and, and I think the more ownership you take in it, you know, the better you help this team. But then you become the guys that built it, and you can talk to the other kids that, you know, come in each year. And, you know, when I got this job, um, uh, you know, in the league was Gene Cady. Uh, you know, I love uh, Bobby Knight, uh, Clem Haskins, and those guys, uh, you know, Tom Davis, Lou Olson, or Lou Henson, uh, those guys have been at their institutions 15, 20, 30, and even 35 years, and they taught me a lot, too, you know. I, I So I did feel an obligation, you know, Knight and Katie. I mean, when I left, it was like, okay, you're the young buck coming in. Don't screw up the league, you know, and don't, you know. Uh, I, I always felt an obligation to Judd not to screw up this, not only to Judd, but to the Magic Johnsons, the Steve Smiths, you know, the players that had done so much for this place. So the way you do that is make sure the game stays right, too. It's not just your institution. And and that has gotten to be a clouded but difficult task now. And there's so many different entities coming in, and there's so much noise out there that, I, I do think the NABC, I think Jim Haney, uh, you know, Reggie Minton, uh, Troy Hilton are, are leaders there with Jim being the main one. But I've seen progress we've made with the NCA. I've seen progress we've made financially to keep everything afloat. Um, they're doing a great job, but the only way it gets done is what happened when it happened to me. You know, they called me and asked me to be on the board. I said, wow, that's going to be a time commitment, this and that. I called Judd. I said, what do you think? And he screamed at me. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege and an, and it's an obligation that you have to have if you care about the game and you want to take some ownership in the game. And that's what I would say to the younger guys, you know. There's a lot of great young coaches out there. And, you know, some of them came up a little differently. In the NABC, you're around people that, you know, it's been – you know, yourself included, you know, all of all of us that have been part of that board, um, I think can help mold the younger guys so it doesn't get out of hand like sometimes it has. Tom Izzo, you are a champion, and I sure appreciate you uh, being our first guest uh, on the NABC Guardian of the Game podcast. I want to thank you, but I also want to thank uh, everyone for tuning in to this inaugural episode of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Uh, To learn more about the NABC, you can visit nabc.com and follow us at nabc1927 on Twitter and Facebook. And we'll be back next Monday with another episode of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast.